Welcome to Hire Automation, a podcast brought to you by High Robotics. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney. And today we're talking about three headaches for three PLs solved with ASRS. I have three great guests we are going to bring on today. Now, many logistics providers are finding it difficult to grow revenues and maintain margins while meeting the rising expectations of customers. So hiring and retention challenges, capacity constraints, and uncertain time to ROI may seem like the new normal. Well, in this podcast, we are going to outline the steps that leading third-party logistics companies, or 3PLs, are taking in operations to overcome these challenges and prepare for new ones. As I said, we have three great guests to bring on. Jordan Frank is Executive Vice President and Co-Founder of Zion Solutions Group. Drew Eubank is also Executive Vice President and Co-Founder for Zion Solutions Group. And Kyle Detweiler is Technical Sales Executive at High Robotics. Thank you all for joining me today. Nice. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Going to have a great conversation. Before we jump in, though, can I ask the three of you to give me a brief bio, if you can, before we get started? Sure. I'll go first. So, like you said, nice to be here. Excited for it. Um, I always enjoy getting on and having a podcast, but I'm Jordan Frank, and I come from a background of mainly sales and solutions, which is where I'm responsible in Zion Solutions Group. So I've spent my career in the integration space, working with both goods to person technologies like ASRS systems and your traditional conveyance and and racking. So really enjoy bringing together a solution, working with my counterpart, Drew, and and bringing it to life through engineering and execution. And once again, happy to be here. And Drew. Yeah, Drew Eubank. Um, I've got about 23 years in industry. I spent the first 15 working for 3PLs as as a leader of multiple site distribution sites and so forth. And then I've been in the integration and technology space for quite a while. And one of Jordan's co-founders and partners here, I do run our operations and um, engineering and implementation team here at Zion. And uh, we work very closely with our partners. And so it's a technology we've implemented quite a bit and we we have a pretty good understanding of uh, how it supports the market. And last but not least, Kyle. Awesome, thanks Michelle. And thank you for having us on today. Uh, my background is solutions and consulting, primarily focused on GTP-centered designs with uh, a layer of WS involved in, as well. So excited for today's conversation. I am as well. So let's dive in. Let's start off with a key element that any company really needs to master, hiring and then retaining quality employees. While labor shortages have eased a bit since the pandemic, many 3PLs still consider worker turnover to be the biggest operational gap, especially in the warehouse. So how do businesses get around that? And then how does technology play a role with possible solutions there? Well, I think before COVID, a lot of 3PLs especially took the uh, mantra of let's just go hire bodies, right? And you talk about peak seasons and and scale, a lot of times volumes would be 10x of normal volumes. They just go find a thousand people, they stuff it into a site and then get volume out. Post-COVID, that's harder to do. One, because it's just hard to find enough people in that short period of time and get them trained up. And the second piece is the volumes, they're extreme. So what used to be a 1,000 people addition, maybe 1,500, right? And so when you add in that cost of training, cost of turnover, cost of acquisition of those teammates, um, it's just been really difficult for 3PLs to keep up. And so where 3PLs used to be very labor-centric, I think we're seeing more investment um in automation and automated systems to supplement that additional labor. So there's not a big ad. It's a quick turnaround on training, more product gets out the door, less delays. Um, in customers, they don't make money if they don't move their product and they don't keep customer attention if it doesn't you know, get there on time. And so I think that's really driven the market a different direction 
um, especially considering labor costs are double what they were just five years ago, uh, loaded on a P&L. And so the, it used to be kind of a struggle sometimes to talk 3PLs into automation because labor was such an inexpensive line idle, but now they can't afford to rely on it. A couple of those points you made there, Drew, I think specifically around retaining the employees, I think one of the cool things about ASRS is there, there's there's college majors now that didn't exist when I was in college, which I don't like to think was too long ago, but there's a whole focus around robotics and technology and applications. And the reason I bring that point up, people like technology. They like to be around it. And ASRS brings that into what what has been known as an old antiquated industry in distribution. So what we have seen throughout the past really five or six years of integrating ASRS systems is that people, number one, it's definitely easier to train, right? The whole point of ASRS is, is simplifying the process. But secondly, it allows people to go into an environment that's excited. It's well lit, right? There's robots running around. There's just some excitement. And when they go and tell their friends when they're out at dinner, wherever they are, what do you do for a living? Well, instead of saying, I sit there next to a conveyor and I pick product, say, I get to work with robots all day. So I think we've seen that with ASRS as it helps not only um, keep or retain people, right, but it becomes much easier to train and have higher quality um, long-term employees. There also used to, there used to be a negative stigma around automation and distribution. You were replacing jobs, right? And the goal of automation is not to replace anyone's job. Humans are still the most critical thinking, most flexible, most dependent thing there is. I mean, some people may disagree with the dependent part, but we are, right? We could come in, produce, we're critical thinkers, we can solve problems, we can be independent. Um, it's there to supplement. And I think with the new technologies and robotic systems, especially is it's it's a good supplement to labor, right? It's not just I'm coming to replace Joe and Sue in the operation. I'm coming to help Joe and Sue be better to make their lives easier, to make it easier to do the job for a long period of time, to be more productive and to get more value out of their job. Yeah, Drew, I, I really couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, the way that we've we've seen automation and you know GTP impact three PLs especially is it's an investment into that that core labor force. So every business does have some set of their employees that are the ones that drive the the warehouse every single day. And so this isn't you know this isn't to to Drew's point a way to remove them from the operation. It's a way to make their day to day better, their life more enjoyable, advance them in their career. And so while it is an investment at the operation level, you know, there's a business case to it, but it truly is, you know, it, it's a step in the right direction to improve the the lives of your, of your workforce. And I think that's something that we, we can't. Yeah. I was going to say real quick, back when you were running a 3PL, I'm guessing that you probably had pedometers in the 3PL tracking steps and miles. I mean, what would you see a worker typically do just in a standard day? Right. A thousand steps, right? And it just, when you go back and think about it, you know, 10 years later, as an example, it's just asking those teammates to do that on a daily basis. I, I can't do it, right? Certainly I can't do that anymore. And so it just, it creates a better environment. It's a safer environment. You know, the stigma around robots is, oh, or they say, yeah, they're incredibly safe. They're, they're built not to interact with humans in a, in a unsafe fashion and creating risk. Right. And so. I think the other thing is too, the end customers for 3PLs, they've chosen not to have distributions of core competency, right? That's a re big reason why large customers use 3PLs. They want to see those advancements too for the teammates because they know if the 3PL is turning labor, they're not able to staff up, 
it does poorly for their business. And so they're really pushing 3PLs to find better creative ways to go out and invest in technologies to help supplement. I'm so glad, Drew, that you initially brought that up. That was going to be my next question with regard to the employees being replaced, because we think of that and we think robots, that means we're going to have less jobs. So I love hearing all three of you kind of comment about that. But curious, though, how that does change things with bringing employees on. You all kind of noted the fact that it makes things easier, but with the actual training of the employees, how is technology changing that with bringing new people on board? Well, if you think about it in terms of an old school warehouse, you had, let's say the 35,000 linear football pad, right? You had to train them how to go grab a cart, how to sign into a cart, how to sign into a scan gun, how to set up their pick carts, how to walk around and pick product, where to go in the warehouse, how to get there. And, and we're in a, a, an 800,000 square foot facility. That's a, that's a lot to take in. It can be overwhelming, especially if you've never done anything like that before. Whereas now you have a station or a process at a small footprint. It's probably overwhelming at first because you see a bunch of really high, tall, dead storage and a bunch of containers or totes coming at you. But then you get to interact with a computer. You interact with your cell phone every single day. We, we all know that. Those other kids probably get terrified of it, right? Because that's all they want to do with cloud technology. So you're using things that you're used to doing to complete your work. So it's more seamless. Um, so I think that it really, it's, it's, it's cut the training time on critical tasks to get product out the door. You know, what used to be a six-month lead time to productivity ramp for teammates, probably more like two weeks now, wow. right? As they just get used to the cadence of the product and things of that nature. Hey, Drew, I'm, I'm just curious when, you know, when you're looking to, you know, in your past life training those employees in an 800,000 square foot facility, how much of that time was spent just understanding and getting a, a lay of the land of where different locations were? Did you have devices that navigated to it or was it just tribal knowledge and you know ones that have been there longer obviously they, they know the map a little bit better but within that six months that six month period well i think for us we did a i, I can't speak for all i can speak to some of the operations i've seen but we did a good job of visuals and things of that nature but you still had to spend a couple days couple weeks with a a teammate just learning what to do so the shadowing process um we had rooms for training and set up on, hey, this is how your warehouse management system operates on a gun. And this is what's going to tell you to do. And this is how you're going to do it. And that was another week in the classroom um, for new hires. If you had that flexibility attempt, sometimes you did. You had to throw them to the fire. And it just created inefficient processes. Whereas today, now it's, let's go spend a day in front of this workstation, maybe hours, right? We had a, we, we've done a installation in the past where I think Jordan was, what, four hours? You get the teammates up to speed. They were hitting rate because it was such an ease of use. They came in, did their onboarding on the floor, spent four hours, and then we let them go to work. And it was amazing just how fast they got up to speed because, again, the process was simple. It was interactive in a way that they're used to working, right? It's just like using your cell phone or a computer, and it just it made life easier and much faster. All right, so we've covered getting the employees and then keeping the employees, which is a great thing to have. Uh, two great things to have, rather. Another trend that we've been seeing since the pandemic, of course, high real estate costs. They are through the roof no pun intended, forcing 3PLs to store more in spaces that can obviously get very tight very quickly. So just to avoid the need for expansions or unnecessary moves, you have people wanting to stay in those older places where, once again, space is really tight. So what are some ways that ASRS is really helping to maximize space with minimum effort? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And there's really a multitude of ways that ASRS helps solve that very problem. 
And I, I think where I'm going to start, one of the big one of the big points is when looking at designing a facility prior to the invention of ASRS, or really there's different types of ASRS that's out there, right? And you've seen ASRS kind of go through an evolution where it was kind of more of a fixed commodity asset that you put in, it stayed there, you can't expand upon it. There's now systems like high robotics and others that uh, is an ASRS but is powered by ACR robots. Others have their own type of goods to person or shelf to person robots. What that has done is create flexibility, not only in expanding, but also in getting storage density. So being able to utilize the vertical cube of the facility, but not have everything planned out for every client you may have in that space day one gives us great ways to use the ASRS system. So let me restate that in a, in a little bit more uh, concise way. 3PLs are being forced to look at multi-tenant facilities or multi-client facilities to maximize the square footage they have. If I've got a million square foot facility and one client's taken up 750,000 square feet of it, 10 years ago, five years ago, I may have said, I'm not putting up another client in that facility. I'm going to go get a new building. I'll put them in there. When I need another client, I'll get a new building. What we're seeing now is not only the high real estate costs, but the time to deployment from talking to a customer, a potential customer for a 3PL and getting them deployed is becoming quicker and quicker and quicker. So what ASRS systems allow us to do is use the vertical footprint put in what we know that we need now, easily be able to expand it into additional square footage later. And back to the same points we just had in the previous comment around ease of use, we can also easily integrate multi-client inventory and picking within that same ASRS system and leverage our staff as a 3PL to pick across all channels, to pack across all channels. So where we've really seen ASRS play a big play is dense storage, right? There's some systems now that are double deep. We're seeing triple deep. We might even be seeing five deep at some point. And all of those things are allowing us to continue to do more and more out of the same footprint, leveraging the capital we've already invested and not incur that additional real estate cost that, as you said, Michelle, is going through the roof. No pun intended. I think the other thing too is we're seeing more and more customers become omni-channel, right? A single point of flow for all their channels, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's to their own retail shops, wholesale, then returns. And in prior lives, that was a lot of footprint. You couldn't commingle inventory very well. You couldn't track inventory was commingled very well. It was separated up. And what these types of systems allowed us to do is create an avenue where the inputs for multi-channel could go into a smaller, more dense footprint to create the same output. Right. And so we're used to have, you know, seven foot walk pot, walk aisles to walk around a warehouse. Now you have seven feet between you and the next pick station to have the same amount of space. As an example, we had a, uh, a customer that is used to putting up 250,000 square foot pick mods, four levels, right. To create space. Well, now we can put an ASRS system in 75,000 square feet may have the same amount of inventory with a simpler process. And they just opened up a world of footprint. And so it's just really allowed us to really scale that omni channel that flow so much better that we did, you know, 10 years ago without the expense, you know, the, the cost of that system has come down so much to where it's now market friendly to, to look at. It's almost, I don't call it criminal, but it's close to criminal to not look at your options and to go old school because you're just spending more than you should with operations cost. Yeah. Drew Jordan, I'm curious, you know, you've, you've touched on a couple of these points. Could you just highlight a couple key factors that you've seen change in the last three, five, 10 years that the, the, the benefits of ASRS have 
have been around for for quite a while. I'm curious, you know, what what has changed to make the adoption increase and and the why now be so much more relevant? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, two of the headaches that we've talked about is is solved or at least partially solved by ASRS. So when we when we talk about trends, Kyle, what we've seen is we've seen, like I mentioned earlier, a need to react quickly, right? Which means we don't have a year to go through and analyze every single element of the process from historical data in order to, you know, put in the perfect solution with a, a conveyor and sortation and right angle transfers and whatever else. ASRS allows us to simplify the operation. It allows us to easily solution the operation through the tools that we get from our business partners. But more importantly, what I think is really neat about ASRS is, like I said earlier, there's different versions of ASRS. And one name a lot of people know because they were one of the first to do it in a pretty dense way is AutoStore, right? And AutoStore came around in the, in the, I think it was the early to mid nineties. And they've really dominated the market for the first 10 to 15 years of their existence. But what that did is people finally woke up and put a target on their back. And it was like, how can we improve upon this technology? So what we're seeing is systems that allow you to easily scale without shutting down. We're seeing systems that allow you to add throughput, but not storage or add storage and not throughput. It allows us to intermix both normal conveyable items and non-conveyable items or high movers, right? I mean, the general principle of an ASRS system is don't put your A's or your super A's in there because you're constantly replenishing it. But if I have the ability to put a pallet level quantity in at once, one touch replenishment, and then pick out of that pallet, all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, now I can put all my SKUs in the system. Now I don't need to consolidate. Now it becomes even easier. So we're seeing ASRS, our ASRS systems continuously adapt to the ever-changing world of e-com. To Drew's point earlier, omni-channel, multi-client, I want to put everything in the system. So we're just seeing people adapt it because of the ease of implementation. Um, the costs have come down from there where they were tra traditionally were because traditional shuttles and mini loads required precision rack. And it was just a very high cost item. We now have partners, in including high that have figured out ways to leverage more of what I would call standard racking, standard totes, not so much specialized and ultimately bring the price down, bring the timeline down, bring the throughputs up, bring the flexibility up. And what does that create? Man, that just creates a lot of success. And I'm sure you can see behind me the Georgia Bulldog football helping, right? So I'm going to use a football term so people can understand. Iron sharpens, iron sharpens iron, right? And so what we've seen, especially in the last 10 years, well, even seven years, is more competition of market has made products come down. That supply and demand is hit, right? And we see better product at a lower entry point. It's made people be better with their technology, better with their software to reduce those costs. And then when you add in the additional cost of space, the skyrocketing cost of your footprint inside of your four walls plus the labor, now all of a sudden the conversation to make it financial sense, it's really easy. It's not what it was 10, 15 years ago when, you know, a $20 million investment, oh my gosh, I don't, I can't replace that. Well, now if I, if I have 40 people I can replace, but that same investment, my wise on time. And so it's just really that difference in cost. And I think that competition, that iron sharpens iron mentality. And um, other thing I've seen, that I think we've seen recently is some of the competition has fallen off that didn't adapt, right? We have, you have your tried and true technologies that build upon the same premise as older technologies, but the ones who are adapting are doing it so much better and so much faster. And it's allowing for that adaptation period to be so much shorter. That's really allowed for that embracing of the technology to come into play. 
something tells me Drew will not be available on Saturdays for the next few months. I, I don't know why. I don't know what's giving me that indication. So talking about faster, because of course we always want it as fast as possible, but let's talk about the ROI in terms of quickness. But remember, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but yet there is that urgency to get things done so we can see our bottom line change as quickly as possible. Many 3PLs have three to five contracts with customers, so they need fast ROI. So can you share any examples or maybe feedback that you have received? Well, that's what all automation is about, right? Is achieving a certain ROI. There's a business case behind all these decisions to go pursue change. If there's no benefit to the change, then there's no reason for any of these, these companies, 3PLs or non-3PLs, to even pursue this. Um, but with 3PLs especially, there is a uniqueness because that customer is temporary. Uh, you mentioned the three to five year contracts, some stemming even longer, and pressure as well being applied from customers on their 3PL partner to explore automation. And so customers right now, while it is a partnership between those two businesses, you know, 3PLs are gonna work very hard to retain that customer, retain that business. And as much as they'd like to you know, have a, a, a fast ROI and, and break even as quickly as possible and, and see those benefits, having a technology that can get you to operational as soon as possible is going to help you achieve that ROI in a quicker manner. You know, we're seeing a change in how these, these projects are being funded. Um, there's more skin in the game from the customers, more invested you know, on, on both sides of the partnership to get automation in. You know, prior, it was the 3PLs that were really driving it, kind of setting the standard, whether it was a, a company vision or just you know an individual building, there was a desire to have automation. Now it's a joint commitment from both the 3PL and the customer to, to realize these, these benefits and realize them quick. And having these, the, the goal to have it be under three years is, is not one that every technology can achieve and you know, why ASRS may not be adopted so quick. Well, it could be the price point. I think that's where other technologies like an ACR type um, bot that is operating with the same benefits of the traditional ASRS model are becoming very appealing because that's the key to unlocking you know, these three, two to three year ROI benefits is you have to have a price point that makes sense. But I want to, I'm curious to hear Jordan and Drew's take on this question because yeah, I mean, from, from my standpoint, God, I agree with everything you just stated. And I think we, we talked about a little bit earlier, not in the specific form of an ROI, but when we look at 3PLs, with a three, five, seven-year contract, we're going to have clients that may have explosive growth forecasted over that time period. It's not uncommon to see a customer coming in, especially coming out of the pandemic, that's got a 30, 40, 50% year-over-year growth for five consecutive years. And traditionally, prior to really ASRS being adopted in the 3PL world, you had to look out to what we call the design year, five years out, which might be three times um, annually what that client is doing today. And you'd have to go design to that. Your sorters would have to be designed to that. Your storage has to be designed to that. The building has to be designed to that. So with AC ASRS that is flexible to deploy, you can now look out to year two, year three. And instead of looking at that forecast as a, you know, factual claim, we all know it's just an educated guess. We could be higher, we could be lower. So having the ability as a 3PL to adapt to the reality versus the forecast is a tremendous benefit that allows them to see that ROI because instead of investing for five years out, 
trying to prove a three-year ROI, you can invest for three years out and maybe prove out a two-year ROI. You know, who knows? But you have that flexibility and scalability to easily accommodate, I shouldn't say easily, but able to accommodate what we're seeing in the industry from an ROI requirement. I think the paradigm on ROI shifted or has started to shift, right? Before it was just labor to technology and can I replace headcount? Don't me wrong, that still, that still has value, but at the same time, 3PLs are starting to understand, hey, I can generate more revenue and sign more customers if I show that I have technology that I can put to my sites that allows me to scale and get more volume out. Customers are willing to pay a little bit more because with that technology, I can get more out the door and get more market share, right? Because if I don't have to depend on humans and a COVID hits, I can still sell my tumblers and my knickknacks, right? Um, that's a big one. Real estate space is now one. Future earnings, future ROI, that cost avoidance ROI that for a lot of times people would put earmuffs on and kind of hide from, it's dissipating because folks understand if I don't invest today, tomorrow I won't have anything to invest in. And so that paradigm's really shifted, especially since COVID. I think COVID pushed us forward probably five years and six months. And it's just important to understand that the, the light where we're in today, I don't think we're going backwards because every company wants to be more nimble, have more market share, get product to market faster. That's the Amazon effect, right? Um, and more accurately. And so these systems, the cost of an acquisition of a customer is a big deal. These systems allow you to be better. Like I'm not, my ROI, I'm not having to go out and get Janie and John to buy my product again because they got it when they said they were going to get it because I got out the door even in busy seasons, a big factor. So I think the ROI matrix has just grown significantly compared to what it used to be. Yeah, we we always looked at new opportunities at 3PL businesses. Is the customer with a 3PL? And if they are, is there a compelling reason to change? Right, and that's cost. But now that compelling reason becomes different, right? Because if I have a system that's operational scales, why look anywhere else, right? I may have a customer that's been around for 10 years. If I don't evolve, guess what? They're going to look, there's a compelling reason. But if I'm adapting with them, my cash flow is better. My retention's better. My service is better. I'm hitting my KPIs. That conversation goes away. The relationship becomes easier. And so I think that ROI from a 3PL perspective is you can't overlook the power in that, that compelling reason of keeping a customer of how to keep. Yeah. And to both of your points, Drew and Kyle, you know, not only getting the new customers, but what is the cost of losing a customer and more about being proactive, as you alluded to, Drew, than, than being reactive. So as we're wrapping up here, any final thoughts from the three of you? Yeah. I mean, I think real quick, just as a recap, we talked about the three headaches for three PLs solved with ASRS. Those three headaches that we talked through was, was labor, right? Keeping them, retaining them qualifying them. We talked through the high real estate cost. That doesn't seem to be coming down at all. And then the last point was just an ROI. And I think Drew and Kyle both had great points of how you can creatively solve that ROI and, and what we've been doing um, within the industry as well. And then the last thing I would say is enjoyed being here. This is always fun to do. If there's any additional questions or thoughts, or you want to see anything about this, you can visit us at bzsg.com. Um, T-H-E-Z-S-G. It's a lot of letters, but that's what it is. Thezsg.com. Um, and feel free to reach out. But once again, thanks, Michelle, Kyle, and Drew. Always, always a pleasure. No, this has been awesome. And, you know, we were creating our vision statement, intelligent change. We want to guide intelligent change. And one of the reasons we partnered with a company like High is we like there's an intelligent change factor there, right? We can, we can go at a problem and solve it with a technology in a way that works for the customer. It works for the technology. It works for us and help guide that path because that's what we do every day. Great conversation. Great to have all of you. And 
love being a part of a conversation like this because clearly there are going to be challenges. They're not going away, but we're talking about solutions and that's really the exciting part here. So thank you to my three guests today, Jordan Frank, EVP and co-founder for Zion Solutions Group, Drew Eubank, EVP and co-founder for Zion Solutions Group and Kyle Detweiler, technical sales executive at High Robotics. Thank you all for your time today. Great conversation and exciting to see where the future is taking us. Awesome. Thank you. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to Higher Automation. It is a podcast brought to you by High Robotics. And of course, you can visit the highrobotics.com website for more information there. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more engaging conversations like the one you heard today. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you soon.